Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Heart Podcast, episode 197. Today, we are talking about Anna Delvey or Anna Sorokin. I'm still struggling with that name. Yeah. Sorokin? Sorokin. Sorokin. No, not Sorokin. <laughs> Sorokin. 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 Yeah, that's mm. close Sorokin. Enough. Anyway, the reason that we wanted to talk about Anna, which I did do a video on this a while ago, like when this story kind of first broke a couple years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm, 2019, something like that. Yeah, something like that. And not all the details were out at this point, but Anna's kind of been in the news lately. She's been trending on TikTok. There's like a popular sound going around with Anna. She just got out of prison. Mm hmm. There was an interview on Call Her Daddy that just mm -hmm. came out. I listened to some of that this morning. From jail. Wasn't it from jail, though? Yep. yep. And then also there has been a trending Netflix show that has come out on Anna called Inventing Anna. And we checked it out. We got a few episodes in before we gave up. Checked it out. <laughs> we checked it out hard enough, <laughs> you know, like. You probably more than me. Five episodes. I'd I tried. I tried it. I think. My my beef with it is it, it was done by Shonda Rhimes, which nothing against Shonda Rhimes, but just the way that she she sort there's of there's a like, certain Shonda style. There's a Shonda if style. If you know, you know. Okay, Shonda creates Grey's Anatomy, Private Practice, Scandal, How to, how get, to get Away, away with, with murder, murder, which we watched pretty we much all those shows. That first there. season, yeah, we we watched at least I mean most of Grey's Anatomy. I can't believe that's still on. We had to give up at some point because it was. A little yeah. life sucking. But if you've seen a Shonda show, you know how they are. This was obviously not as long, so she couldn't do as many monologues and but things like that. But it's it's still a Shonda show. Still a few. And monologues. of course, I knew. <laughs> I'm like, there's got to be Shondaland actors in this. And Grey's Anatomy, Grey, her mom, Meredith, Meredith's mom is in it. Yeah. Her dad is in it from the show, which uh, they were both in Scandal as well. I don't know the names of the actors, but they were both in Inventing Anna as well. Yep. Yep. It was a very much a Shonda so, show. Yeah. I mean, there are really mixed opinions on it. And Some they added really a lot of it. stuff that wasn't didn't happen and characters they yeah. infused into it to make it a show. Yeah. I mean, if they were to actually talk about the real facts, it would have been like two or three episodes. It really could have been condensed yeah. quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. Well, they were trying to build other character storylines and stuff like that. And I found it a little annoying. Like, I didn't really like the other storylines. And I kind of found all the acting... Kind of annoying, in my opinion. I know some of you guys really liked it. I asked on Twitter. It was very split um, what people thought about the show itself. Um, some people seemed like majority would say it was okay, but a lot of people said it's boring. Yeah. Storyline felt off. Only got through one episode, too many episodes. Yeah, just make a movie. Uh, make like an hour and a half movie and call it good. Why make an eight, eight episode movie? You know, yeah. six hour plus. I think they're thing. making a movie too, though. There's a, a deal going on. I heard in the Caller Daddy interview, She's I think there might be some type of deal. Interesting. Well, I might be wrong. But yeah, most of it, most of the feedback I got was boring. I liked your video better. Um, yeah, I don't know. Some people said great acting. I really liked the storyline and I found it super interesting. Everyone's saying it's slow, but I disagree. Felt like it took a closer look into the story that I was already sort of familiar with. I always love the exploration of fraud, how it happens, the profiles of the fraudsters. I thought the telling it from the perspective of the reporter tracking this down was interesting, but it could have been three episodes. Should have been a movie, not a multi-part series. So yeah, a lot of people agree with us. Yeah. 
wasn't my favorite. I think sometimes when you take a story or a case and you try to, you know, morph it into like this sort of fusion of fiction and nonfiction in Mm -hmm. order to create like an entertain entertaining show or movie, either goes really well or it's like, eh. We yeah. could have lived without it, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about it. It's like, I feel like we could live without it. I think, I think it could have been a short movie. Janelle, will you look up the name of the lead actress? I know she's from Ozark as well. Oh, yeah. Hold on. She got a lot of mixed feedback. Some people thought her acting was incredible, pretty spot on for Anna. Some people were annoyed by her character, thought her accent was annoying. But to her credit, how do you do Anna Delvey's accent? Julia it's kind of her own accent. Julia Gardner? Gar- Garner. 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 Julia Gardner. I thought she did a pretty good job and she looked pretty similar to Anna. Yeah, she looks very similar. But how do you nail that that accent? Because it's not any what specific. What accent is it? It's, yeah. It's like I mean, Anna fusion. herself really says, like, I'm not really from anywhere. It's kind of. Well, she is from somewhere. But, but that's, she considers herself. She identifies herself. herself as being from somewhere else. Yeah. She moved a lot. So, well, that's what we're going to get into today is the real, the real, real story, story, the nitty gritty of mm-hmm. Anna Delvey and her wild adventure of fraud and how she tricked a ton of people into believing here's my she thing. was here's an my heiress. thing though you got to give got to give her some credit you do like, you do the fact that people in this day and age are still somehow able to defraud mm-hmm. financial institutions wealthy individuals businesses that you would expect to have all these safeguards be the hardest place to fool and yet people still do it yeah, it's kind of amazing how she was able to pull this off. It's annoying. And get away with it for quite a long mm-hmm. time. You would think like after the first time, it's just like, you defraud somebody, you get caught. Everything that she came in contact with, is everyone just kind of dumb? Because how? Or is she that how? charming? Is she that charming and that believable? Which is hard. Like for me, I'm like, I listen to her and stuff. I'm like, I would see right through yeah. that. But yeah. apparently. <laughs> well, now that you know the information, you know, but. True. I don't know. Meant, you meet this yeah. heiress, you look at her Instagram, she's living in hotels. Yeah, I guess if you can create the illusion. And yeah, that's what she was all about that. the illusion. The illusion. Yeah. All right, the illusion of Anna Delvey. Let's get into it here. Let's do it. On January 23rd, 1991, Anna Sorokin was born in Domo de Dova, Soviet Russia. That was a really hard one to pronounce. It's a working class town south of Moscow. Her father was Vadim Sorokin, a truck driver, and her mother was a convenience store owner. Anna also had a younger brother. Both her brother and her mother have chose to remain anonymous throughout all of this. And Anna had a deep appreciation of fashion and luxury from an early age. Her life in Russia was modest, but she was still very ambitious and had big goals for her future. One of her childhood friends said that Anna's favorite movie was Mean Girls, and she thought the two of them her and this friend, were pretty and popular, just like the characters in the movie. And Anna was always obsessed with fashion. When she was 13, she started reading Vogue and different fashion blogs pretty religiously. It was her dream to become a magazine columnist one day. The stylish models that she saw dressed up in designer clothing inspired her, and she wanted to be just like them. Her family tried to support Anna's expensive taste, but money was tight. However, their financial situation changed for the better when Vadim got a job in Germany. When Anna was 16, her family moved to the small town of Eschweiler in North Rhine-Westphalia, Germany. Her father started to work as an executive at a transportation company while her mother stayed home to be a housewife. And Anna attended Catholic prep school in Eschweiler. 
It didn't seem like Anna liked Germany all that much. Their town was pretty dull, and she struggled with the German language. Her classmates described her as quiet, but she was for sure a fashionista. They nicknamed her Barbie because of her love for clothes. And now that her family's financial situation improved, they could buy Anna some of the designer clothes that she wanted so badly. Her family had to drive a ways away from their small town just to get the stuff. Vadim doesn't know where Anna got her expensive taste from, but he tried his best to give her what she wanted. In addition to clothes, her family could afford now to get Anna German, English, and French tutors. They also had the money for Anna's dance classes. Vadim said that Anna was a pretty good kid. She had a good circle of friends in Germany, and she didn't drink too much. She seemed happy hanging out with her friends and taking trips with them. But Anna said she started to disobey her parents more as a teenager because they were just too conservative for her, and it bothered her when they tried to tell her what to do. Anna graduated from high school in 2011, and all she wanted to do was get the heck out of Dodge. (laughs) Really, get out of Esweiler because not a lot going on there. She was 19 now, and anywhere seemed more exciting than this boring little town she was in. Anna wanted to do her own thing in a city like Paris or Berlin. Her taste got more refined as she got older, and she outgrew her high school friends pretty quick. It was clear to Vadim that Anna thought she was too good for their life in Germany. He said that she wanted to live like Paris Hilton, but we weren't able to give that to her. So, she was off to London to attend the Central St. Martin's College of Art. But her move to London was brief, and she actually dropped out of school after only a few weeks. She then moved to Berlin in 2012, where she worked as a fashion intern at a PR firm. Allegedly, Anna borrowed lots of money from her friends there without paying anyone back. In 2013, Anna moved to Paris to intern for the fashion magazine Purple. She actually interviewed with Vogue Paris, but she didn't want to do petty intern work like getting coffee, so she chose Purple instead. That internship is where Anna Sorokin became Anna Delvey. She used that name as an alias to post photos she took for Purple. According to Anna, Delvey was her mother's maiden name, but her family had never heard of that name before, and Anna later on admitted, I just made that shit up. That same year, Vadim's company went bankrupt and he decided to start his own heating and cooling business after he lost his job. The family was still able to support Anna financially, though. Purple only paid Anna about 400 euros a month, so her parents paid for her things like rent and a car. But in the early 2010s, Anna didn't want to keep up with her parents very much. She was jetting around to different countries, but she didn't keep them updated at all about her travels. Anna didn't mind not speaking to them much. She just wanted to go out and build her own life, separate herself from her parents as much as she could. While she worked at the magazine, she attended many fashion parties and made friends with plenty of people in the industry. Her Instagram was filled with photos from different European cities and art events, and life was awesome. Not only that, but Anna's boyfriend was a rich tech futurist who gave TED Talks. He was trying to secure funding for his new app, and he and Anna spent most of her time traveling the world, living in nice hotels, and hosting dinners for potential investors. Her boyfriend, Hunter Lee Soik, and her dated for around two years. And during that time, Hunter taught her quite a bit, and he introduced her to the business world. But they ended up breaking up in 2016. Her now ex-boyfriend moved to Dubai, and Anna went to New York. She'd fallen in love with the city, and it was time for her to start a new life there. Except you need a lot of money to really get started in New York City. At least if you're going to live the way that Anna wanted to. Yeah, if you're going to live the lifestyle Anna's living, you need... A lot of resources Mm -hmm. for that. Anna's upbringing never really matched her vision of who she wanted to be. 
She was really old money at heart, and she wanted people to believe that she came from a wealthy background. That kind of lifestyle required expensive clothes and lots of cash that Anna did not have. So she decided to go with a fake it till you make it strategy and become the rich Anna Delvey, which she completely made up that last name. Now she was going to become one of New York's elite. All she'd have to do is pretend to be a version of herself who was insanely wealthy, and the money would somehow follow. New York City had always had a special place in Anna's heart. It was dynamic, constantly moving, and full of art and culture. It was the perfect place for Anna to reinvent herself. When she moved to the city, Anna's scheme really started to take off. Instead of a working-class Russian girl, she became a sophisticated German heiress. Everyone was dazzled by her fancy clothes and expensive taste. She went to the hottest clubs, bought the most expensive champagne, and knew all of the trendiest places to eat. Naturally, she was always dressed in fancy clothes to match her lifestyle. Everyone could tell that Anna was the daughter of people who had serious dough. Anna always claimed that her money came from her rich father. He was apparently the one who always footed her bills. According to Anna, a lot of her personal fortune was held up in a massive trust fund. She couldn't touch those funds until she turned 25. But nobody knew exactly what her father did to make his fortune. Some people said that he was an oil baron. Others said that he was a diplomat. In some versions of the story, the Delvies were big in antiques or had made solar panels. But it really didn't matter at the end of the day. There was no shortage of rich trust fund kids in New York City that lived glamorous lifestyles all paid for by their parents. And Anna was just another one of those privileged girls. Anna told people that she was a German girl from Cologne, not a Russian girl from an industrial town near Moscow. It didn't make a lot of sense, though. Her accent sounded German, but not really. It was vaguely foreign and aristocratic. Plus, her German definitely wasn't that great. But none of that really mattered to other people. Her money spoke louder than her words. But another strange thing about Miss Anna Delvey was that she was always sort of mooching off of other people, which was weird for a girl who had a 60 million euro trust fund. She'd asked to sleep on her friend's couches or have them call her Ubers. Sometimes her friends would pick up tabs for Anna. That totaled up to thousands of dollars. Imagine asking a friend to just pick that up for you. <laughs> There were always excuses ready for why she couldn't pay. Her father had cut her off this week, or her wire transfers hadn't come through yet. But she promised she would eventually pay, and nobody really raised an eyebrow at first. After all, Anna lived such an extravagant lifestyle and paid for things in cash without giving it much thought. All that money had to come from somewhere, so obviously she'd be able to pay people back. A few hundred or even a few thousand dollars wasn't really a lot of money to some of Anna's really wealthy friends. If she forgot to pay them back for dinners or hotel stays or international flights, they'd end up kind of forgetting about it too. That's nice. I wish yeah. I had that problem. Oh, I can't remember that thousand bucks I gave you. <laughs> <laughs> Convenient. What's a thousand dollars anyway? It's a drop in the bucket. God, I can't imagine. That's probably why Anna was able to scheme her way through New York's elite social scene for so long. Anna forgetting to pay people back wasn't weird. It was just a sign that she was another rich girl with more money than she could keep track of. At some point, Anna lived with a guy named Billy McFarland for four months while he was working on his first company, Magnesis. The company was creating a private credit card for millennials that let them access exclusive clubs and restaurants. And if you haven't recognized his name already, that was the same Billy McFarland who founded the Fire Festival. Ooh. The two linking up, that's a 
dangerous combination. That really is. God, fire festival. Good mems. She would not have been pleased with the fucking like oh, piece she of was, bread and yeah. cheese that he was serving up. That's the image that always comes to Same. mind when I think of fire when festival. Always. The shitty sandwiches. The styrofoam container with a slice of bread. <laughs> How did they oh, think that was oh, going to fly? Amazing. Maybe really, we'll have to cover fire really festival. Yeah. I've been wanting to do a video on that. Maybe I should. Anna was allegedly squatting at Billy's place and all her designer shopping bags were piling up in the house. Not only that, but she didn't pay any rent. Billy didn't really have the guts to ask her to leave, but when he sold the place, he finally had an excuse to kick her out. It was actually kind of surprising that Anna had any friends at all. She was generally pretty rude and uppity to people she didn't know. Anna wasn't particularly likable, and she didn't look like a model or anything, but she was rich and she had good taste, so people were able to overlook her attitude. Her attitude is so off-putting. It is. She annoys me so much. Watching her interview on Call Her Daddy today, I was just like, so irritated with her. She has that like <laughs> God complex. Of, oh, like, she does. I am the smartest one in the room. Alex from Call Her Daddy asked her if she had a podcast who she would want to interview. And she said the judge from her case and then basically called the judge a hater. It was like, wouldn't you want to have an opportunity to interview your haters? And then Alex was like, well, she's just doing her job. This is America and there are laws and you broke them. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It was really bad. Rachel Williams, a young photo editor at Vanity Fair, was one of those people. Rachel first came across Anna on Instagram, and some of Rachel's friends had been posting with the new girl in their social scene. Later, the two met at a nightclub in New York for the first time. They saw each other with mutual friends, and a few more times before, they had lunch one-on-one. From there, Anna and Rachel became fast friends. Anna was always generous with money, and Rachel definitely didn't mind spending it with her. They spent a lot of time hitting up saunas, having pricey dinners, and personal trainer sessions. Anna always covered the bill, though. Here's a clip of Rachel talking about her first impressions of Anna and all the shit that Anna bought her. What were your first impressions? She was slightly offbeat. She had curious mannerisms. No pictures. No pictures. I was so glad to have this person who was available and seemed really excited to be my friend. It seemed like Anna was really excited about the big project she had in the works. She explained to Rachel that she was going to start her own visual arts center. It was going to be like the Soho House, but better. That social club would be called the Anna Delvey Foundation. Her plans for the foundation were pretty extravagant. The club would be private and members only, so people would pay a costly annual membership fee to get in. It would also include multiple clubs within the club, including a night lounge, attic bar, artist lounge, and rooftop terrace. There'd also be a juice bar, restaurants, and a German bakery. But art would be the heart of the Anna Delvey Foundation. The space would include artist studios and exhibition spaces for large art installations. It was going to be exclusive, and it would be an influential art space. The club needed investors to fund the project, so Anna attracted multiple high-profile entrepreneurs, hotel owners, and architects to help fund the foundation. Anna also hired Mark Kremers, a creative director in London, to create the foundation's branding. At one point, Anna told him that she was worried the name Anna Delvey Foundation was too narcissistic for the club. As for the club's foundation, Anna was eyeing 281 Park Avenue South, the historic church missions house in Manhattan. The building was owned by A.B. Rosen a famous real estate developer, and there was stiff competition to rent the historic building. To secure the lease, Anna needed the help of some high-powered attorneys in New York. She used the services of multiple prestigious law firms. But the most notable lawyer who worked with Anna was Andy Lance, a real estate attorney who was a partner at the firm Gibson Dunn. 
On November 21st, 2016, Anna tried to get a $22 million loan from City National Bank to finance the opening of the ADF. She told the banker that she had $60 million in euros in a trust fund controlled by her father in Germany. The $60 million would secure the loan, and Anna said that she'd have a letter verifying the trust sent from UBS, an investment banking firm based in Switzerland. But of course, this fortune didn't exist. Anna gave City National Bank forged bank statements to back up her claim. Then she put them in touch with Peter Henneke, who was supposedly the Delvey's family head accountant. Peter sent the bank documents to verify Anna's wealth. But the bank still turned down Anna's loan application. They didn't think she'd be able to access the cash flow needed to make the loan repayments. But she and Andy didn't give up. They needed to make ADF happen. On December 30th, Anna tried to get a $25 to $30 million loan from Fortress Investment Group. She gave Fortress the same story that she gave City National. The loan would be backed by her 60 million euro trust. She even used the same forged documents to convince the banker that she had this money. And this time, Anna was successful. They approved the loan and started working on the next steps, including necessary due diligence that they needed to do. And Fortress required that Anna pay them $100,000 in a deposit to show good faith of the loan repayment. Anna insisted that they'd receive a wire transfer to cover that amount. Over the next few weeks, the transfer surprisingly never arrived. And Anna kept reassuring the bank that the money would come soon. We will get back to more of Anna's scheming to get this money as soon as we are back from our sponsor break. So Anna needed to come up with this money quickly. So on January 11th, 2017, Anna went back to City National and asked for a $100,000 loan. She said that it was taking her too long to have the money wired from her trust. The banker thought that Anna was good for the money based on her forged UBS documents. So they let her overdraft her account temporarily. Anna kept telling them that she'd have the balance repaid via wire transfer in the next few days. I cannot believe they fell for that. I, I'm so confused. Me too. I think we're I've all been through the too. loan process for a house, and I swear they yeah. like search every nook and cranny of your financials. But if to you're make dressed sure you in Gucci repay. and your Instagram yeah. looks good, maybe I need to get some Gucci flip flops <laughs> for my next mortgage meeting. <laughs> maybe. And then she gave them a fake wire transfer confirmation to make it look like the money had arrived. But City National never actually received the funds. Which, first of all, wire transfers are like some of the most secure ways to right? send money. Apparently not. Like if you have the right information, the money's going to get there. The wire just doesn't get lost in space on its way there. Like mm. it, it goes through <laughs> if it's real. Strings were pulled for Anna, that's for sure. So things seemed like they were starting to go according to her plan and ADF was on its way to becoming a real foundation. But one day, Fortress told Anna that they needed to set up an in-person meeting with her banker at UBS. It was all part of their standard due diligence. But their request for that meeting spooked Anna, and she panicked. On February 2nd, Anna withdrew her application for a loan from Fortress. Instead of a bank, Anna claimed that the ADF would now be funded by her father. And so Fortress returned $55,000 of her deposit. And then Anna took that $55,000 to her Citibank account. And that's when she went on a huge spending binge that included pricey hotel stays, fancy dinners, and, of course, designer shopping sprees. On February 17th, 2017, Anna decided to move into the 11 Howard, which is a trendy boutique hotel in Soho. She booked a month-long stay in a $400 a night room. Most hotels require a credit card for their guests to keep on file during their visit. 
But Anna didn't give them a card number. Instead, she told the hotel that she would wire money for her stay. Eleven Howard was a pretty new hotel, and Anna had booked an oddly long stay. Wire transfers weren't something they were used to accepting as payment, but they knew that Anna was one of A.B. Rosen's clients. He owned the hotel, so they agreed to be paid by wire transfer from Anna's father. A lot of the other hotel employees didn't like Anna at first. They thought she was rude and pretentious. She'd make comments to the staff like, why are you bitches broke all the time? But employees would later start fighting over who got to do Anna's favors, like taking up her packages because she'd always hand out $100 bills to whoever brought her packages to her. And in the Call Her Daddy interview, she said she plans on continuing to tip people $100. That was like her things, tipping 100 bucks. Yeah, Alex was like, mm, I don't know. Well, with what money? Keep track of your bank account if you're going to do that. Yeah. yeah, $100 tips for everything? That's yeah. pretty nice. Yep. It seems like Anna had an endless supply of cash that she was just looking to get rid of. She spent her time at the hotel taking selfies in her room, which was filled with shopping bags from designer stores, and relaxing in expensive loungewear. She also frequently hosted pricey dinners at the hotel's restaurant. One day, Anna strolled into the lobby and started chatting with Nefetari Davis, or Nef for short, a young concierge at the hotel. She slipped Nef a $100 bill and asked for restaurant recommendations. Dealing with wealthy guests was nothing new for Neff, but Anna seemed different. As Anna's stay went on, Neff saw her more and more. She'd come down with a glass of wine or some food and hang out with Neff at the concierge desk. Sometimes a long line would form at the concierge table, and Anna would start counting out hundreds until Neff served her first. It didn't seem like Anna needed recommendations. She already knew all the hippest places to eat or all the hot spots to see and be seen at. Instead, it just seemed like she needed friends. Anna just wanted Neff's time, and Neff was happy to give it. The two of them actually became good friends as time went on. Anna invited Neff to dinners with celebrities and wealthy CEOs and gave her expensive gifts. But it was kind of weird that Anna seemed so lonely. One day, Neff asked Anna where all her friends had gone. Anna explained that her friends dropped her because they were mad she left her job at Purple. But she had bigger things to worry about. The Anna Delvey Foundation was going to be something major. As for Neff, she dreamed of making movies. Her dreams were going to become a reality soon. She had a rich boyfriend who promised to pay for her first film. But Anna told Neff to dump the guy. She said that she was richer. And she'd pay for the movie instead. Neff wasn't the only person who was dazzled by Anna's glamorous ways. Casey Duke, a personal trainer and life coach, befriended Anna after she became one of her clients. Casey made her living coaching celebrities like Dakota Johnson, Lenny Kravitz, and Gwen Stefani. A package of her coaching sessions cost $4,500. Anna bought plenty of those session packages and she saw Casey regularly. But she also started inviting her to dinners and spa days. Over time, Casey became kind of protective and motherly towards Anna. It seemed like she needed someone looking out for her. Anna wasn't just her client anymore. She became a very good friend. Anna was finally able to create a social circle of her own in New York, which included Casey, Neff, and Rachel. The three of them weren't really a friend group, but they all knew each other through Anna. But that didn't mean life was all glitz and glamour for Anna. Her financial schemes were running into some problems. By March, all the deposit money was gone, and her bank account was overdrawn by $9,000. In April of that year, it seemed to Neff like Anna was having problems accessing her money. One night, Anna invited her out to dinner, and they ran up a $286 tab. But Anna's credit card was declined when she tried to pay it. So she handed the waiter a list of 12 credit card numbers to try instead. 
and none of these numbers worked. And Neff realized that she was going to have to pay the bill. She figured it was her turn to pay since Anna always paid for so much. It was a lot of money, but she told herself that Anna definitely had the money to repay her. The next day, Neff was relieved when Anna had repaid her three times the bill's amount in cash. But later that month, things got worse. One day, a manager at 11 Howard told Neff that Anna hadn't paid the hotel bill. It had been a month and a half since Anna arrived there and her wire transfer hadn't come in. The hotel told her that she needed to pay up. At this point, Anna owed the hotel $30,000 for her stay and all of the dinners at the hotel restaurant that she had charged to her room. Neff figured that Anna would pay, but she gently brought it up to her the next day to make her boss happy. Anna told Neff that there was a wire transfer on the way, of course. The next day, a package arrived at the concierge desk. Neff opened it and found a case of 1975 Dom Perignon. It was a gift for the hotel staff from Anna. Now the hotel management was confused. Anna could pay for all of that expensive champagne, yet somehow she couldn't pay her bill. They told her that she needed to pay up or else they would lock her out. On April 11th, Anna wrote $160,000 worth of bad checks and deposited them into her city bank account. Before the checks could be returned, she took $70,000 out of the account. Then, as if by magic, Anna wired the 11 Howard $30,000 through Citibank. But this wasn't the end of Anna's problems at this hotel. Management kept asking her to put a credit card on file, and she never did. The charges began piling up once again. But despite this, Anna continued to live large. One of Anna's bankers got her on the list for the annual Berkshire Hathaway Shareholders Conference in Omaha, Nebraska. The conference is pretty high profile, and it's been nicknamed Woodstock for Capitalists. And Anna planned on attending the event with some business associates including an executive from Martin Shkreli's hedge fund. On May 5th, Anna booked a private jet trip from New York to Omaha with the jet company Blade. The trip cost $35,000. And Anna told the Blade employees that she would wire them money for her trip, just like she always did, and they believed her, especially because she had the CEO's business card. She recently met him at a party in Soho. And just like that, Anna took off for Omaha the trip was fine until Anna got a troubling text from Neff. Neff explained that the hotel had put all of Anna's things in storage and changed the code to her room. They'd only give her access to her belongings if she paid the bill again. This really frustrated Anna. She couldn't believe the hotel could do that to her, but she was able to get those worries out of her mind and enjoy the rest of her trip. On the last day, Anna and her associates visited a zoo in Omaha. They were driving around the zoo in a golf cart when they stumbled across Warren Buffett's private VIP dinner. So they decided to just slip into the event and they ended up hanging out with high-powered people like Bill Gates. It's that easy to slip in? Yeah, <laughs> apparently. God, security around At these the people zoo. really isn't that tight, man. <laughs> According to Anna, the trip went really well and it seemed like she wasn't too concerned about Neff's text. After they came home, Anna showed Blade another forged wire transfer confirmation. But of course, the money never actually came through. Anna was absolutely furious when she came back to the 11 Howard. She marched right to the lobby and threatened to buy internet URLs in the manager's names. And she announced that she'd be leaving the hotel after she got her belongings back. Anna was set to move out after she returned from Morocco. Anna asked Neff if she'd like to join her on the trip. Neff really wanted to go because Anna made the trip sound amazing. 
They'd spend eight days getting massages, shopping, and soaking in their private pool. But Neff said that she couldn't take that much time off of work. Of course, Anna just told her to quit her job. Neff's mom didn't have a good feeling about the trip, and she reminded Neff that there was no such thing as a free lunch. So she stayed behind. But Rachel was happy to join Anna in Morocco. She understood that Anna would be paying for the whole vacation, which included a $7,000 a night Riyadh at the La Munia Hotel in Marrakesh. The three-bedroom Riyadh even had a private pool, courtyard, and butler. Casey and Rachel's videographer friend, Jesse Hawk, came along for the trip as well, as Anna wanted the videographer there to document the vacation. Okay. Who, who is this? Who is that? Who, who are you? Okay. Do I know you? At first, the trip was going well. La Munia was insanely beautiful, and the room was over the top. The girls enjoyed fine dining, massages, and champagne in their private pool. But two days into the trip, Casey got food poisoning. It was so severe that she had to fly home. Casey didn't want to leave, but she realized later that her illness was actually a gift from the universe. Because the rest of the trip did not go as planned. Anna had given the hotel her debit card number, but the card didn't have enough funds to pay for the trip. And a few days into their stay, the hotel ran the card, and of course, it declined. The staff kept trying to get a working credit card number from Anna, but nothing she gave them worked. The staff was pretty pissed off at that point, and two menacing-looking hotel workers showed up at the Riyadh and threatened to arrest Anna if she didn't pay up. Again, Anna's excuse was that the bank had the money tied up and the funds were on the way, but that was clearly the wrong answer. The two men were getting pretty angry and Rachel was scared, and they needed a quick solution or something was about to happen. Clearly, Anna's cards were not an option, so Rachel knew, as you just saw, the only way out of the mess was to hand the two men her Amex. She was really reluctant to do it as the credit card was only supposed to be used for work expenses. The hotel staff explained that they put a hold on Rachel's card and that the hold would clear when they got the money from Anna. The card would be charged for the full amount if the money didn't arrive in a few days. But of course, Anna was good for the bill. Her banks were totally going to send the money over soon, so everything would be fine. The whole incident still freaked Rachel out though and she left for New York the next day. And all of a sudden, Anna was alone in Morocco. Towards the end of the trip, Anna called Casey sobbing hysterically. She was alone at the Four Seasons Hotel in Casablanca, and she said there was an issue with her bank. Her credit cards weren't working, and the hotel staff threatened to have Anna arrested. Casey didn't know what to do. She tried giving the staff her own credit card number to cover the bill, but her card didn't go through either. So Casey actually got one of her friends to agree to run their card number. It declined as well. By some miracle, the hotel admitted that the issues with the card payments were probably their fault, and Casey reassured the staff that Anna would pay them back soon. Anna had also asked Casey to book her flight back to New York. Through tears, she asked, can you get me first class, <laughs> please? But Casey made her settle for coach. When Anna got back from Morocco, she moved out of the 11 Howard and into the Beekman Hotel in Lower Manhattan. Anna lived at the Beekman for 20 days, and she promised the hotel that she'd pay for her stay via wire transfer but they never got the eleven thousand five hundred dollar wire transfer they were promised and anna didn't leave them a credit card on file so they locked anna out of her room and threw all of her stuff in storage anna then moved into the nearby w hotel only two days later though those same payment issues led to anna getting tossed out and now anna had no place to stay she called up casey sobbing and asked to spend the night casey didn't want to let her stay over but anna said she was really worried she might do something to herself. That obviously had Casey really concerned, so she agreed to let her stay. Anna looked absolutely ragged. 
She waltzed into the apartment, drank some San Pellegrino, and then passed out. Casey lent Anna one of her dresses and sent her on her way the next morning. Anna had left her laptop behind, and at this point, Casey had enough of her. She took the laptop down to the doorman and told Anna to pick it up there. That night, Casey got a call from her doorman. Anna was in the lobby. Casey told the doorman to tell her that she wasn't home. Anna sat in the lobby and waited six whole hours while Casey desperately waited for her to leave. Now Casey was really suspicious. While she sat trapped in her apartment, she called up local hotels and asked them about Anna. They were all immediately like, Jesus, that girl? She also called up Rachel and she told her about everything that went down in Morocco after Casey left early. Apparently, Anna never paid the hotel and Rachel was charged $62,000 for the trip. Rachel had been begging Anna to pay her back. $62,000 was more than she made in an entire year. At that point, Anna had only paid Rachel $5,000, and she kept sending wire transfer confirmations that weren't actually going through. The situation was becoming incredibly stressful. Anna always had an excuse. It was excuse after excuse for not getting the money back to Rachel. I leave before Anna does. When I land, I get a text message that the whole bill is being charged to my cards. How much? $62,000. $62,000. How did you even wrap your mind around that? It was such a complex, paralyzing moment for me. She owed me more money than I made in a year. It was starting to eat at me. I'm late with my rent. I'm late with my credit card payments. And Rachel wasn't the only one trying to get her debts paid. Mark Kramer, the creative director Anna had hired for the ADF, needed Anna to pay her 16,000 pounds for his work. It had been over a year since he'd sent her the bill. Anna kept directing him to Peter Henneke, the family accountant, but all the emails Mark sent to him were bouncing. One day, Anna emailed Mark and told him that Peter had actually passed away a month ago. She told Mark not to try to contact him anymore. And it turns out Peter Henneke wasn't a real person. Shocker. His number was traced back to a burner phone that Anna had purchased at a supermarket. That July, the W Hotel and the Beekman pressed charges against Anna for theft of services. Both of these charges were misdemeanors. Anna went ahead and hired a criminal attorney, Todd Spodek, to help her fight the case. She insisted that the whole thing was one big misunderstanding. And on July 31st, the New York Post published a less than flattering article about Anna with the headline, Wannabe socialite busted for skipping out on pricey hotel bills. The article referenced Anna's recent disputes with the hotels and mentioned that Anna had tried to dine and dash at a nice restaurant. When Casey heard the news, she called up Rachel and they planned an intervention for Anna. They wanted to get to the bottom of what was going on. But at the meeting, Anna tried to make up excuses and shift the blame. Casey and Rachel were not having any more of her bullshit. They demanded to know when everyone was going to get paid back. Anna said that once she leased the church missions building, everyone would get their money back. Casey angrily informed Anna that someone had already rented the building, so that was not going to happen. She showed Anna a screenshot of the news. The Swedish Museum Fotografiska had signed the lease, and Anna stared at the screen and then replied, that's fake news. Casey and Rachel still didn't want to leave Anna out on the streets so they paid for her to spend the night at the hotel. They warned the hotel to clean out the minibar and not let Anna charge anything to the room. Then Anna spent two nights at the Bowery Hotel. She paid them by giving them a forged wire transfer receipt 
On August 17th and August 21st, she deposited two bad checks into her signature bank account worth $15,000. Before the checks were returned, Anna withdrew $8,200 from the account over the next few days. She used the money to travel to Passages Malibu, a luxury rehab facility in California. Anna has claimed that she didn't want to go to rehab for drug or alcohol abuse, but she hasn't fully explained why she checked in there. Anna was scheduled for a court date on September 5th. She never showed up, probably because she was away at Passages. Meanwhile, Rachel was at her wit's end. Something needed to be done, so she called the police and they started working on a sting operation. They were going to bust Anna in California. Rachel started texting her and pretended to be concerned and asked to meet up. She asked Anna questions about her rehab to try and figure out which treatment center she was staying at. Anna bought the act, and she told Rachel that her rehab was across from the Pacific Coast Highway. That's how Rachel discovered Anna was staying at the Passages. She told Anna that she'd be in Malibu for work and wanted to grab lunch together. When Anna left the rehab that day, the cops immediately surrounded her. On October 3, 2017, Anna was arrested outside of the Passages Malibu. She was later indicted on two counts of first-degree attempted grand larceny, two counts of second-degree grand larceny, three counts of third-degree grand larceny, and one count of theft of services. Oddly enough, Rachel kept texting Anna that day, pretending like she was sitting at the restaurant waiting for her to show up. Anna had no idea that her own friend had dropped a dime on her. The judge determined that Anna was a flight risk, and she was held without bail while she waited for her trial to begin. In the meantime, Anna was sent to the notorious Rikers Island Prison in New York. Fun. Ooh, Rikers Island, man. Anna was disciplined at Rikers over 13 times for things like disobeying authority and fighting. Due to her behavior, she was moved to a maximum security jail section. She even had to spend a few weeks in solitary confinement during Christmas time. One day, a journalist named Jessica Pressler discovered Anna's story. She started visiting Anna at Rikers so she could write an exclusive on the wannabe socialite. It seemed like Anna was doing pretty well in jail. Apparently, it wasn't all that bad to her, and she said it was like a sociological experiment. She'd even made a couple friends while she adjusted to life behind bars. The writing process was long and intense. Jessica was pregnant, and Anna wasn't always the easiest person to work with, but she didn't let it slow her down. Jessica even traveled to Germany to talk to Anna's family. And finally, on May 28, 2018, New York Magazine published Jessica's article. Maybe she had so much money she just lost track of it. The story quickly became a viral hit, and Netflix bought the film rights to Jessica's article. Just before Jessica published her article in the New York Magazine, Rachel Williams wrote a story of her own, and Vanity Fair paid her $1,200 for an article she wrote about her broken friendship with Anna. Rachel also signed a $300,000 book deal, as well as a $35,000 deal with HBO. American Express actually ended up paying Rachel back for the $62,000 stay at La Munia. So she ended up coming out of the scam pretty much unscathed. But Rachel still looked forward to testifying against Anna at trial. In an interview, Anna's dad, Vadim, said that his daughter's crime surprised the Sorokin family. He said that Anna had always had a selfish personality and he had no clue about her activities in New York. Initially, Anna's lawyers tried to make a plea bargain of three to nine years if she pled guilty ahead of her trial. The judge rejected the offer because Anna showed no remorse. And now she was facing a maximum sentence of 15 years in prison. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we dive into the trial of Anna Delvey. Dun, dun, dun. Anna's trial began on March 27th, 2019. Her parents did not attend the court proceedings. 
Many reporters did, though, of course, and they made notes of all of her designer outfits throughout the process. Someone even created an Instagram account called Anna Delvey Court Looks. Defendants legally have to wear civilian clothes to trial. If they show up in prison jumpsuits, it might give off the vibe that they're already guilty, and that would prejudice the jury. However, if defendants don't have any normal clothes, the court gives them some to borrow. Fashion was obviously pretty important to Anna. She wanted to look her best at the trial, so she had her lawyer hire a court stylist to pick her outfits. One day, Anna threw a tantrum because she didn't want to wear the prison clothes to court. She cried and refused to enter the courtroom until she could have her regular clothes pressed. This tantrum ended up delaying the trial by an hour and a half before the judge forced her to appear. Pressler actually reported that she would sometimes pick out outfits for Anna's trial and give them to her lawyers. When there was a wardrobe problem, Jessica would come in with a quick fix. While the media snapped photos of Anna, prosecutors laid out their case for the jury. They argued that Anna was a skilled fundraiser who tricked business associates and friends out of over $275,000. They said that Anna used the money to fund her luxurious lifestyle, and she didn't show any intention of repaying that money. I urge you to come to the only verdict that is in accord with both the law and the evidence, and that is that the defendant is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. The jury didn't get to hear about the $250,000 that Anna owed to multiple prestigious New York law firms. She'd racked up all those bills trying to secure the lease for the church missions building. But they did get to hear about her Google search history, which included the phrases faking bank statements generate fake credit score report, and faking bank statements penalties. Anna created all of her fake bank statements using Microsoft Word. Imagine that. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) But Todd, Anna's lawyer, argued that she was just faking it until she made it. She wasn't a scammer because she fully intended to pay everyone back. 
she genuinely wanted to build the Anna Delvey Foundation. Anna's methods were unusual and probably not the smartest way of going about things, but that didn't make her a criminal, guys. I do not believe she had the intent to ever commit a crime. Whether she owes people money, that's a fact of life. That's, that's the reality of doing business <laughs> in New York. Life. Now facing charges of grand larceny and theft, she could spend up to 15 years in prison if convicted. Everyone who gave Anna money did it willingly. Those bankers were just upset that they got outsmarted by a 20-something Russian girl without a penny to her name. Then it was Rachel's turn to testify. She sobbed while she explained to the jury that she was traumatized by Anna's scam. Through tears, she read out some of the texts where she begged Anna to pay her back or else she couldn't pay her rent. Rachel said that all of Anna's excuses were making her lose it. At night, she'd have panic attacks and she was constantly late for work due to intense stress. Her testimony was very emotional. At one point, the court had to take a recess so that Rachel could pull herself together. I wasn't sure what to expect in seeing Anna after all that time. When I did look at her, she was smirking at me. Did it unnerve you? No, shockingly. I thought it would. During cross-examinations, Todd went to work taking apart Rachel's story. He argued that Rachel was a hustler who was quick to profit off of her story. She made hundreds of thousands of dollars in media deals, and American Express repaid her anyway, so he didn't feel too bad for her. She'd built quite a career off of Anna's supposedly traumatizing scam. He said that in her paid Vanity Fair article, Rachel conveniently left out the fact that she had secretly set up Anna's arrest. Rachel responded by saying that she didn't have enough space to put that part in her article. At the end of the day, jury did not like Rachel or her story. In court, she gave off social climber and user vibes. It seemed like she was only friends with Anna for all of the free stuff, and she voluntarily gave Anna her card to stay in with her. The jury deliberated for two days before they came back with their verdict. And on April 25th, 2019, Anna was found guilty on eight charges, including theft of services, second-degree grand larceny, and first-degree attempted grand larceny. They did find Anna not guilty of a serious charge, though. First-degree attempted grand larceny for the $22 million loan she tried to get. The jury wasn't convinced that Anna stole anything from Rachel, so she was found not guilty on the charges related to the Morocco trip. On May 9, 2019, Anna was sentenced to 4 to 12 years in prison. She was also fined $24,000 in order to pay her victim's restitution. The judge argued that Anna wasn't remorseful for what she did, and her social media posts showed that. She warned Anna's fans that choices have consequences. Anna made one statement at her sentencing hearing. I apologize for the mistakes I have made. And that was it. The next day, Anna told the New York Times that she wasn't sorry for anything that she did. She made excuses for her actions, and she said that she always intended to pay everyone back. But she did admit, I'm not a good person. In prison, Anna created a lot of drawings and wrote blog posts for her website, Anna Delvey Diaries. Someone on the outside kept her Instagram account active with updates from prison. One of her blog posts was even addressed to Donald Trump, and Anna gave him a lesson in Rikers Island 101. Apparently, she was getting along pretty well in lockup. She warned unwanted visitors not to randomly show up to the prison and try to see her. She told her Instagram followers that she wasn't lonely, and she had gotten fat or shaved my head. You're being held in Rikers, one of the most frightening jails in the country. What was that like for you? Were you terrified? In a way that was therapeutic. I mean, it's a... Therapeutic? <laughs> I 
for example, use the time like to read a lot and to write. I've heard that you've said that it's, prison is kind of a waste of time. Yeah. Taking a person, stripping them of everything, putting them somewhere where they have pretty much very few opportunities to rehabilitate. So how is this supposed to help someone who already had to resort to life of crime? As for her post-release plans, Anna said that she'd already made some investments in Bitcoin and she dreamed of owning an investment fund. She later told media outlets and her parole board that she was in fact sorry that she had hurt people. She claimed that her original I'm not sorry statement was taken out of context and she apologized for how her lack of responsibility hurt others. And guess what? On February 11th, 2021, Anna was released from prison on good behavior. And Anna went right back to posting after she got out of jail. She documented her life on parole in New York, including her pre-curfew activities and business plans. She shopped, ate caviar, drank champagne, and hung out with her friends. After her story blew up, she earned a ton of online fans. Crazy she has fans. She flocked to Twitter and Instagram to show off her new life and let her followers get to know her. Anna did a short Instagram live Q&A on Valentine's Day after her release. She lounged in a hotel bathtub while she and a friend sipped wine and ate caviar and talked with viewers on Instagram. The media was all over Anna's post-release activities. Paparazzi from the tabloid Daily Mail took videos of Anna strolling around New York in fur coats and designer clothing. In response to Daily Mail's coverage of Anna, she announced that she was launching an athleisure line named Delvey Mail, but the collection never ended up being released. Anna also did a bunch of interviews with news outlets and magazines, podcasts, and in those interviews, Anna denied that she ever told anyone she was an heiress. She wasn't a scammer either. She asked for money, and people willingly just gave it to her. She said she planned on giving everyone their money back after she opened her foundation. So she didn't believe that she was a con woman after all. And Anna's pretty good at manipulating interviewers. She often answers questions with another question directed back at the interviewer. And she likes to make vague statements and a lot of excuses. Anna sold the rights to her story to Netflix for $320,000. But due to Son of Sam laws, which are put in place to stop criminals from profiting off of their crimes, the money will go back to the victims as restitution. Anna told New York Times that all of her restitution was paid, around $199,000, and she paid the $24,000 fine and the $75,000 in attorney's fees. The rest of the Netflix money, around $20,000, was hers to keep. Many people would find that very strange, that you had gotten into trouble, you went to trial, you went to prison, and there's a Netflix deal around your story? I find it strange, too. So are you sort of milking your crime for the fame? No, definitely not. Do you feel badly? Do you have regrets? I feel like I'm just trying to deal with um, with consequences of my actions. I was young. I would not repeat my actions. I'm just trying to make the best out of my situation. So like we talked about a little bit at the beginning, Netflix premiered their show Inventing Anna on February 11th, 2022. The show is created by TV legend Shonda Rhimes and it stars Julia Gardner as Anna. Both Casey and Anna were brought on by Netflix as consultants for the show. Some characters on the show are entirely fictional, but some are based on real people. The older woman, Nora Radford, is a fictional character. Anna said that none of that stuff with the department store credit card use is based on anything factual. Anna's friend Val is also a fictional character. The character Alan Reed is based on Andy Lance, Anna's lawyer. 
Vivian Kent is a fictionalized version of Jessica Pressler, the journalist who broke the famous article in the New York magazine. The character Chase Sikorsky is likely based on Anna's ex, Hunter Lee Soyek. Hunter is a futurist who created a dream journal app called Shadow, and he gave TED Talks on the power of dreams. Anna has confirmed that she dated Hunter in the past, and she tagged him in one of her old Instagram posts from Ibiza. Hunter himself posted a photo of Anna on his page in 2013, so it seems pretty likely that the character is based on him. In an Instagram post, Anna claimed that she'd reveal her ex's identity to the media outlet that would pay the most money. She said the bidding would start at $10,000. The character Talia might be based on the businesswoman Jema Cardoso, who created the Surf Lodge in Montauk. Anna visited the Surf Lodge in 2014, and she tagged her and Hunter in the same Ibiza Instagram post. Rachel's portrayal in the show isn't the most flattering. She's spoken out against the show, and she's accused Netflix of doing PR for a con artist. Anna has not even seen the whole show, only bits and pieces of it. When she first saw the trailer, she wondered, am I really that insufferable? On the Forbidden Fruits podcast, Anna mentioned that she had never attempted suicide at the Chateau Marmont. She doesn't know if she'll watch the whole show because she thinks it would be weird to watch someone play a fictionalized version of herself, but she does think that Julia Garner did a fantastic job playing her. She and Neff are still friends to this day, and even Anna's lawyer Todd is still friends with her and they talk regularly. Around six weeks after she was released from prison, Anna was picked up by ICE for overstaying her visa. She is currently being held at the Orange County Correctional Facility in New York. She is set to be deported back to Germany, but she and her legal team are trying to fight that deportation, and I feel like there's a good chance she'll get out of that. Anna said that overstaying her visa was something that was out of her control. She's working on a podcast and two books about her life while she's in detention. She looks forward to telling the true story of her time as the Soho grifter, and she hopes that she can stay in New York where she built her life. A judge mentioned Anna's social media posts as one of the reasons why she's still in detention. The posts show that Anna clearly has no remorse for her actions. In response, Anna said that her Instagram has always been a satire of her situation, and she doesn't want to glorify her crimes. Anna received one dose of the J&J vaccine while she was in custody, and in December of 2021, she requested a booster shot but never got one, and she got COVID a month later. On March 1st, she joined a class action lawsuit against ICE filed by the ACLU. She claimed that the detention center failed to give her the booster shot, and she got sick because of that. She's also spoken out against ICE's practices. The government does not provide detainees with free lawyers like public defenders, so most of them don't have one. If a detainee can't pay their lawyer, they either have to represent themselves or find a charity that provides free immigration lawyers. But most detainees don't speak English, and there's very limited educational resources in detention. Anna said that these factors make most cases unwinnable, and many detainees give up. While in prison, Anna has done interviews with the Call Her Daddy podcast and Julia Fox's podcast, Forbidden Fruits. On Forbidden Fruits, she called out Rachel, and she said she was fake and fame-hungry. She claimed that Rachel hasn't taken responsibility for anything she's done, which clearly Anna hasn't either, but anyway. Recently, Anna also slammed Rachel on Instagram in a multi-part story, which, side note, her manager runs her Instagram account while she's in custody. And she told her followers that Rachel was a hypocrite and a liar, and she was clearly jealous of her success. According to Anna, nobody cares about anything she has to say unless she's talking about me. The HBO project based on Rachel's story is no longer in the works, and Anna was quick to point that out. 
Many news outlets have reported that Anna's father has disowned her. However, Anna said that her family and her still talk pretty regularly. But it doesn't sound like these chats are very positive. According to Vadim, Anna never once told him that she loved him. But that didn't stop her from asking for money every day. He claimed that Anna told him that he had to help her because she was his only daughter. Anna has some friends in prison. Other inmates think that she's rich, and Anna pays them to do her laundry. Vadim said he isn't surprised that she can still wrap people around her finger even while she's in prison. It's interesting she's able to manipulate people so easily, being as unlikable as she is and how everyone describes her. It's, it's just so weird. I don't get it. I don't get it either. Big question mark on that. Still, Vadim says that he would welcome Anna back into their home with open arms if she was deported to Germany. He believes that it will be a new beginning and a second chance for her. But it doesn't look like Anna will take him up on that offer. She told a reporter, I'd rather be in jail than live with my parents. Anna definitely doesn't want to go back to Germany. Apparently, it's worse than prison, and she wants to stay here in the U.S. But if that doesn't work out, there are other cities that she would live in. London seems to be the first on her list of possibilities. And on March 14th, Anna was released from ICE custody and ordered to return to Germany. Officials have already packed up all her things in trash bags, and they had the flight booked for Anna that day. But Anna refused to leave the detention center. Her lawyers filed an emergency motion to delay her deportation. And as of the day we are recording this podcast, which is March 25th, Anna is still in that facility waiting to see if she will be deported. Some people think that Anna Delvey is a nasty con artist who scammed her friends and deserved to be in jail. But other people think that Anna Delvey is an icon, criminal or not. She's become the Robin Hood-style folk hero with plenty of supporters and fans, which is really weird because Robin Hood took from the rich, gave to the poor. She took from the rich and gave to herself. So I don't know how well that fits. Regardless, it looks like we haven't heard the last from the fake German heiress who grifted her way through Soho. So we definitely want to know what you guys think. The opinions on Anna really vary. It's very I'll give her. I'll give Anna this. She's a hustler and yeah. not in the good way. But she she, she goes out and makes it happen. She manipulates everybody. And I don't everything. even know if she deserves the term hustler, though, because hustlers, when you're yeah, actually, that's true. You're actually doing something, done, so she's, she's not really doing anything. A really good liar. She's a con artist. She's a manipulator. She's I don't feel bad good, for her at all. I think she's such a bad person. She's a very good con artist, though. She's a piece Somehow, of shit. which doesn't make sense. I'm like, eh, how, did, how does she fool these many people? I don't know. She so, I guess some people it. just have that ability. I mean, some people just have that like in them to con people. Yeah, it seems like And it. do it well and make people really believe in this illusion they've created. Mm-hmm. Really, she's an illusionist. A master <laughs> an illusionist. illusionist. She should go start a show in Vegas. She should be in her bio. She's a magician. How to con people 101. <laughs> yeah, what do you think, Janelle? Do you think, are you impressed with her at all? Or Yeah, I guess. I'm impressed with her ability to BS her way through life. I mean, what she was able to accomplish was nothing. How the fuck do you fake wire transfers? I know, that that part's all really very hard to wrap your mind around. I, I'm I'm impressed with her ability. It reminds me of like uh, the Catch Me If You Can movie a little bit. Oh yeah, where um, but see that whole story was fake as no, fuck too. You know who it reminds me of Frank yeah, Abagnale. But that's what that's Catch Me If yeah. You Can. Oh, Frank yeah. Abagnale. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's Abagnale. that's all fake. Like yeah. all that. But like all those forging. Stories. But like having the ability to yeah. forge documents and make them look legit. The fact that she was able through Microsoft Word. She's a word <laughs> wizard. I'll give her that. <laughs> 
Because like wizard. to make bank state, how do you even make a bank statement? Like you can in write word. a good bio for her, babe. Word wizard, illusionist. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I've got a lot, a lot of good hustler. Hustler. Yeah. Hit me up for uh, <laughs> book titles if you need them. Oh, God, terrible. So in that in that sense, is it is it something to be proud of? Like fooling the system or no. fooling fooling these people and I think she is. She's proud of it though. I think she genuinely thinks that she's smarter than everybody and she's like, if I can't Mm, do it she doesn't give a damn. And just just disregards the laws. She clearly didn't look into the law before she started doing this. No. And she doesn't seem that surprised that she got caught either. Seems like she just kinda was like, well, probably eventually get caught and whatever. Just keep on going. She seems so whatever about everything. Yeah. Do you feel bad for Rachel? I don't really feel bad for Rachel, honestly. I mean, American Express paid her deal yeah. back, and, and she she's got a deal off of it, and a, a lot of publicity. Deal, big old I mean, book deal. Yeah. She'll be fine. Yeah. People have been scammed far worse. She went left on the, in trip. the dust. Yeah, it wasn't even her. It was a, like her company credit card. Yeah. Anyway. And boohoo. Yeah, yeah. And nobody really feels bad. I didn't know who I was talking to. <laughs> I don't feel bad for Come any on. of them, honestly. And the people she scammed, like it was banks, a and... lot of rich people. Yeah. So, so you know what. There's suckers. Goes on. Suckers. Yeah, I was gonna say like she didn't kill anyone. She didn't hurt anyone. Like no. she abused money and power. But there's people who do a lot more. Yeah. Devastating. Yeah, I mean, she actually the fact that she actually served time is pretty rare yeah. in these financial yeah, totally. uh, crime cases. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, there's tons of people who've done way worse when it comes to stealing from banks and wire think, fraud that never see jail. Yeah, and I she think went to, to Rikers her, Island too. Like, <laughs> yeah, go watch some locked up raw really Rikers Island or something. <laughs> And that will show you everything you need need to know. I really do think the biggest punishment for her, which she was probably much more upset about than jail, was the damage to her reputation and being called yeah. a con artist. Right. And a, yeah. She doesn't yeah, like the, the negative yeah. names attached she to her. She wants to be legit. And she's going to still try. To well, become, she's got an Instagram following. That's all you need to make money these days. Like That's sad. Seriously, though. like she could How just many make, followers does she have? And she's about to do an art show. I was just reading. She's going to sell her own art now. And, and the, her kind of her thoughts good. on prison were funny too. She's like, "Oh yeah, it was it wasn't bad. It was like therapy." <laughs> she said that. Yeah, awesome. she's like, "I just read books all day and wrote, worked mm-hmm. on writing." It, she probably did like it. Damn, she's got almost a million followers. Yeah, so she's fine. She said she doesn't care. She's yeah, deported. No. Doesn't matter where she goes. She'll mm-hmm. always build. She's to got make book money. deals coming. Yeah, she's That's set. fucking sad. And maybe that was her plan all along. She's like, "I'm just gonna like build this over time." And eventually it's going to blow up, be this big story. I could see her kind of masterminding this mm, type of whole thing. Maybe. Because she's, I mean. No one really knows what goes on in the mind of Anna Dolly. As dumb as the things she did are, she is smart. Yeah, I agree. She's and hard, Hustler. Yeah. Hardworking hustler. Hard Just <laughs> a blue-collared worker, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> let us know your thoughts on this case, on Anna Delvey. On the what inventing the, Anna. Yes show yeah we want to know what you, you guys heard think. ours yeah let's hear yours <laughs> <laughs> i'm curious to know what people think the opinions on that are so split they are a lot yeah. of people think they made her look like a victim in the show which i didn't tune in long enough to actually find out if i felt that way but yeah we want to know your guys' thoughts as always leave them below yeah make sure you subscribe to us on youtube make sure you're following us on spotify we really appreciate it that is it for us today we will see all of you next week But until then, keep on taking your mind a mile mile higher. higher.